Before we begin today's episode, I wanted to let you know, Bright Digit needs your help. We're looking for developers to help with several projects. Of course, I mean iOS development, but also watchOS, Vapor, macOS, HealthKit, SwiftUI, and not just stuff in the Apple and Swift space, but also web development, Vue.js, TypeScript, Docker, Postgres, and more. If you are interested, email me your portfolio or resume to leo at brightdigit.com. Again, that's leo at brightdigit.com. I'd love to see what you can do and how you can help with our team. But there's more. I also have some availability for work as well. If your team is trained by too few people or just need someone with my expertise to guide your team, reach out to me at leo at brightdigit.com. That's right. Email me, leo at brightdigit.com. We have some availability to help your team. So if you just need somebody for temporary part-time contract work, let me know. I'd love to see what I can do to help your team. Thank you for your time, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's program. Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dian. Today, I am joined by, once again, Tim Mitra. Tim, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me again. Yeah. In case people don't know you, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself and your podcasts. Sure. I'm in a, you know, I'm sort of a creative type. I'm a maker, tinkerer, and for the last 12 years or so, I've been basically working in iOS, a little bit of Mac, but mostly iOS, primarily around the iPad. Similar to you, I started because of the iPad. Um, it had been doing like development before that, you know, Apple reseller, that kind of thing, but, but the iPhone creating, you know, magic for people on the iPhone was sort of what drove me and the iPad, obviously, because it's a larger format. Yeah. So, you know, spent some time, early time teaching people how to do iOS when it was a new thing. And yeah, I've had a chance to work with Apple a few times in a few different careers, but doing iOS. And I think part of the the idea behind the podcast, we do a couple of them. I do one on sci-fi centered around Star Trek and other, but all kinds of other sci-fi. But the main podcast I think people might know me for is more than just code, which is about iOS development. And it's sort of our way of giving back to the community in terms of like, you know, some knowledge that we have as app, app, reset, app, app developers, engineers, that kind of stuff. And yeah, just, you know, we do it for the people. And of course, I was recently on there. We'll have a link mm-hmm. to that episode where we talked about a bunch of stuff, including VR yep. and floppy disks and stuff. So you definitely want to check that one out. What are you currently working on right now? I'm currently hearing manager over at Spot Hero in Chicago, and as well as working on some of my own sort of apps, I'm trying to do refactor a couple of things using SwiftUI and iCloud, which we, iCloud and Core Data that we've talked about before. Yep. But to be honest with you, I ha- I'm currently obsessed with Red Dead Redemption 2. I've been spending way too much time playing that. I should be writing code at night, but, you know, I tend to write code at night, and that's usually what my hobby is, or 3D printing and that kind of stuff. But, yeah, yeah, I gotta, gotta admit, the PlayStation's got me hooked right now. Isn't that a game like three years old? It's many years old, but it's, it's actually really well done. It's, it's, it's funny, like I was thinking about that last night, you know, I remember being a kid in a bowling alley in St. Catharines, Ontario, or actually I guess Toronto, seeing Pong for the first time. And then shortly after Pong, we got, you know, Pac-Man and then, well, Space Invaders came after Pong, right? So, and those, you know, so I'm thinking, you know, like in the history of game development, like playing Red Dead Redemption 2 or any of the Tomb Raider titles, or Uncharted, you're like you're playing, you're in a movie, you know, in a sense. Like the music's there, the you know, the guitar, little subtle, you know, Western guitar in there. And, you know, you're running around on a horse and everything looks pretty, you know, it's animated, admittedly, but it, it looks pretty realistic, you know. And, and we've come a long way from like sort of 8-bit crappy graphics, you know, on a CRT screen, you know, to, to like, you know, 4K stereo surround sound, you know. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So... so- we had a couple of things we wanted to talk about today. One of the things you wanted to talk about was what you think most people are missing when they're developing an app as far as like just kind of like buzzwords or trends that you see yeah. that you think could be possibly misleading and what you think people should really be be doing when they're building 
a big project, I guess, or even a small. Yeah, I, I think it's true of any any project you work on. I see, and this is based on a lot of stuff that I see on on the interwebs, on the socials, on the Twitter, and the, and the mastodons, and Facebook. Well, not so much Facebook. I don't talk to engineers on Facebook, but I do talk to engineers who work on Facebook. But I don't talk to and people on Facebook about that. But yeah, I think that the you know you hear a lot of things, like especially from new users who are just getting into the game. Like, what should I should I do UI Kit? Should I do Swift UI? Should I you know should I do Core Data? Should I do React? You know, should I do Flutter? What should I learn? And I mean, the reason why my podcast is called More Than Just Code is literally because I believe that there is more than just writing code to building an, an app, right? I've said it many times before that, you know, it's it's writing the code, it's it's creating the user experience, it's creating surprise and delight is what Apple would like us to do with our apps, right? So there's a lot of a lot of avenues to building an app. You have to think about marketing or even a building a bit. It's kind of like building a little mini business if you think about it. I mean, if you're just for the sake of putting an app on the app store, which I've done. I've just put apps up there just for the sake of, of going through the exercise. You know, then it, it comes down to, you know, you have to evaluate the, the why. Why are you doing this? What's your reason? Are you doing this because you want to make a living at it? Are you doing this because you want to, you know, build a portfolio? Whatever your intent is, and that's true of any sort of creative process, and I believe that writing code and making apps is a creative process. You have to sort of evaluate what your intention is. Are you just doing it for fun? Are you doing it for profit? You know, what's your motivation? I'm very empathetic to the user or the customer's clients, you know, and, and calling them users is sort of an engineering term, but maybe we should, we should, some, some, some companies I work for, they, they kind of change that terminology. We're not allowed to call them users, but, um, because it kind of takes the humanity out of them. I'm a big advocate for security and for accessibility is one of my big pet peeves. And especially since, you know, I'm, I'm wearing an accessibility device, a pair of glasses, you know, got the gray hair going here, right? So, so you know, I use larger type, you know. So I've been, you know, I wasn't really big into the dark mode, sort of, you know, the, the X code with your screen color reversed and all that kind of stuff. I still code in, you know, plain old boring, boring white. But I like, you know, I like at sunset that my, my devices all switch to a dark mode, right? I've gone through all my websites. I've added dark mode to the website so that, you know, at that time of day, everything switches and, and that kind of stuff. But I think that there's, I think one of the biggest pieces that I find missing in a lot of teams and a lot of apps is that there's a very large percentage of the world that have some sort of impairment in terms of either visual or auditory or, you know, there's even as you get older, you you know, we all we all be, get to a point where we need some accessibility devices, and I think that's a, a huge thing that's missing in a lot of apps. And and of course, you know, there's also the the other other side of the argument that you hear a lot about is testing, right? About about writing unit tests. And it's funny because I I saw a tweet on the weekend and from a friend of ours, and I said, you know, oh, I, I thought we were developing apps, not you know, delivering tests, right? Because it seems to be there's a lot of emphasis on is it testable code? You know, are we, are we using MVVM simply for the sake of, you know, the story that it's easier to test? Or, or are we doing that because it's a good architectural pattern? I think those are questions that, that people need to ask themselves. But I remember something, I think it was Brent Simmons said once about one of his apps, is God, don't look at the code under the hood. The app looks great. People love it. You know, it ships, it does, it does what it needs to do, but please don't, you know, like I don't, I'm embarrassed by some of my coding decisions, right, over the years. And there's a few people who, friends of mine who's, Mark, Mark on our podcast has seen my code and he shakes his head a lot. But, you know, the, the reality is, is, you know, if it, you know, and we talked about on my, I think we talked about on our show the other day, the other day about mm -hmm. the 80-20 rule where, you know, you don't have to focus on per, per, perfection, you should focus on progress. Yep. Right. And, you know, sometimes you just need to ship a product to get it out the door. So, you know, the 80% of the work is done. Let's get it out there. Let's see what happens. You know, I think another, I've been fortunate to work on teams lately that have a good quality assurance group, right? People whose specific job is to just test the apps, make, you know, do the dumb things that the users are going to do. I'm always amazed. Like I was teased my QA people that they're, stop breaking my app, right? I wrote it. It's fine. It works, right? <clears throat> stop, stop, stop finding the edge cases that, that make things a grief. But I think that, and it's funny because I've talked to a lot of teams where, and you know, I was doing the whole interview process <laughs> for like 18 months and a lot of teams are, you know, I said, who does your QA? Well, our, our, our engineers do the QA themselves. Bad idea. Like, you know, I think you need to have an impartial person who doesn't necessarily understand engineering who goes in and, and actually right. tests the device, tests yeah. the app. 
to find well, the weaknesses. One of the things I see a benefit of QA is like I don't know, especially if it's a pretty big app. I don't know every nook and cranny of that app. Like I don't know. Oh, this was supposed to do this. Oh, I didn't know that. Like I could, I could develop something according to what I think it's supposed to do, but I might not know what the user expects. And I think that's like a big problem as far as like, um, the difference between QA and unit testing. Like whereas unit testing, it's just like, oh, just make sure my code runs the way I expect it to. But sometimes what you expect is not what your user or customer expects, right? Yeah, and, and the unit test just proves that your logic is sound and, and that, that, you know, it responds well. It, and there's also automation right. testing. I think right. that's a lot of thing that people should consider as well is, is, you know, what happens if I log in repeatedly for 10 minutes or something like that? You know, those kind of, right. that's where yeah. automation happens, right? And that's what, I mean, mm-hmm. in, and the other thing too that, that's, it's, it's challenging as, you, as your point about QA is, you know, I just transitioned to a new team. So it's an, it's an, a mature app that's been developed for a long time. And I did the same thing when I joined right. the bank back, you know, six and a half, seven years ago, coming into a code base and, nooks and crannies i mean like there are parts of the banking app that i never looked at in the six years i was there right i, I know i just i just know there weren't right right um, right so it's difficult to sort of it's difficult to sort of transition into a new team where the the app is mature and i think that may be a challenge something that people should consider if they if they move to a big group right um, it's nice to have greenfield development where you know the the we're all only working in swift ui and we're only working with the new stuff it's that's nice but the reality is you know, in a lot of cases, you're supporting older devices. You're working with, you know, um, design decisions that may have been may have right. worked a while ago, but don't work anymore, kind of thing, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Excuse me. One of the things I was going to say is, as far as testing, like I think, I think there's a divide in the community when it comes mm-hmm. to the difference between like solo apps and apps that are built with large teams, because mm-hmm. I feel like there's kind of Two, two sides that are like talking a different, like almost like a different language where it's like, where you say, Oh, like, don't look at my code. It's horrible. Like that, that's fine. I guess if you're a solo developer, but if you're on a big team where like several people have yeah. to manage it, that's where having testability is even more important, I guess. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Coding standards too. I mean, like, you know, you have to agree on, right. I mean, the, the biggest challenge about being to a big team, especially as, as an individual engineer is, do you understand the the requirements for the team? Not, not, I'm not talking about the accepting requirement for the ticket. I'm talking about, you know, are we, are we running things like SwiftLint? Are we, you know, cause we, you know, we used to, before SwiftLint came along, we used to use like a, there was a Clang something or other. We ran an Xcode to okay. clean up our Objective-C, you know, are we leaving, you know, you know, are, are, is, are we, you know, bringing up all of our declarations and methods? Are we, are we not using extra white space? Cause re- white space makes it readable as a human, yes. but it's not, yeah, as a team, maybe we decided to get rid of that. You know, we don't, we don't want everything right. tightened up and sh- less lines of code as it were. Cause yeah. white space counts as a line, right? But, uh, and then, you know, are we using like, I love the, uh, the, I guess they're called Codeco now, the Ray Wenderlich folks, right? They used to publish, and they st- I think they still do publish a Swift like a Swift rules, sort of Swift guidelines. They used to do an Objective C right. guidelines as well, right? Yep. And it's sort of yep. the team can look at those recommendations and agree. And then is it what's the one from Realm? Is it Swift Lint? JP wrote, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Hero Swift format, I think. Swift format. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, the no, the, or Nick Lockwood is Swift format. Realm is Swift right. Lint. Yeah. Right, yeah. So between the two of those, you know, there's sort of a, and you can accept their suggestions as your, as your rules, or you can, or you can use them as guidelines, as I said, right? And then yeah. decide, your team can decide whether you want to do them. And what's nice about those automation And you can customize them. Yeah, and these are part of your, your CI, your, your, your continuous yep. integration, continuous, continuous development. You can have those as scripts. You can either run locally on your machine or you can have them on your build servers that yep. run the things and reject your PRs based on that. And danger yep, is that's... another important tool, I think, that, that is really nice that, you know, it's like a, an extra engineer looking at, at the quality of your code, right? So, yeah. with the rules you put in danger, right? Yep. Have you heard of Stringsland? Speaking of ex- accessibility. No. So StringsLint is it makes sure that you use string dictionaries and mm-hmm. localization for all right. the strings you use in your UI. Oh yeah, language um, support's another important one, yeah. Yeah. 
which if you're interested in accessibility and localization, we've done episodes on that. Definitely check cool, out. Yeah, to check that one out. That. Yeah. Yeah, because I have, I have an app and it's like, I want to make sure all my strings aren't just up. Cause, you know, when you first start, you'll be like, oh, I'm just going to write these strings in code. But then eventually you could start using, it'll warn you and say, hey, you should probably put this in a string dictionary since it's in your, it's in your UI. So I highly yeah. recommend checking that out. Yeah. I mean, I've always used localization in all of my apps. The, my early apps were like supporting yeah. eight languages. One of them was supporting 14, which was just crazy, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, but but it's it's important. I mean, like you know, we're it not we're not the it's not English speaking people and people who read you know left to right. I have to think about that for a minute. We're not the only people using your app, right? So yeah. so that's another important consideration, and obviously a market too. I mean, you know, Canada is like a tenth the size of the United States in terms of market, but then China is ten times ten times the U.S. or a hundred times the U.S. I think, right? Right. So. Right. You know, and it's funny because we, you know, in, in, I worked in Canadian banking and obviously Canada, our two official languages are English and French. Right. right? The majority of us speak English. I mean, sorry, French people, but I'm sure in some provinces it's, you know, very French and some, some are by fully, one province is fully bilingual, right? But, you know, so you think, okay, well, I need to add English and French into my app, right? Well, we, what I, we didn't realize was a large, a very large percentage of our users are Chinese. Right. Okay. So, so we had to, we, you know, in the banking app, we added English, French, and then we started adding Chinese and that, that sort of got, you know, a lot of, a lot of people. I mean, there were even people in Quebec who are Chinese whose, whose fallback language is French, not English. Right. So these are things you sort of, that, that come up in, in, especially in larger apps. I mean, I think I was, I was going to go down this one rabbit hole was that, you know, the banking app was, was used by six million people a day. Right, like that's huge numbers, right? In terms of people yeah. who's using it, right? So, I mean, all the more yeah. reason that be accessible, support accessibility, dynamic type, and that kind of stuff, right? Do you think one one thing you wanted to talk about, and this gets into other cultures, other languages, is yeah. multidisciplinary engineering? What what? Yeah, what does that mean? I guess, and how do you think that's helpful? Did I helpful? put that down there? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, yeah, I think, I think what I meant by multidisciplinary engineering was what they sometimes call cross-functional engineering as well, where okay. it's not just an isolated instance where you're in iOS. You know, you may be dealing with, you may be dealing, you're obviously dealing with endpoints if you do any kind of, any kind of data stored on a network or any kind mm. of user account stuff. So I think what I meant by that was, was, I have to go back to my notes now, but I think I meant like, you know, thinking about the engineering across cross teams or across across different silos, right? In terms of like yeah. what you're you're dealing with. I mean like I in my own apps, you know, I write my own APIs, right? So I do PHP and my SQL. Okay. Um, so so you, you know, and you need need to know those things those things. And and you know, then if you've got Android support you might need to know Kotlin or you mean you know, have somebody on the team who knows Kotlin, right? And Java mm-hmm. to be able to support those kind of things. I think that's what I meant by multidisciplinary engineering. It's not just again the more than just code comment, right? <laughs> What's more than just iOS code, I mean. Right. I'm almost surprised at how many iOS devs don't know anything about backend development. Yeah. But, it, I mean, it kind of makes sense if that's all you've been doing. But what do you, if you were an iOS developer, let's say I was an iOS developer and I asked you, hey, Tim, what should I, do, what should I learn if I wanted to be branch out more? What would you recommend being first up? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of PHP from way back when, but the I think you know Python is an important language. To, Mark Mark Rubin from More Than Just Code would be telling you to learn Python for sure. That's I think was his favorite language. I mean, there's things like Go. Go is used a lot in in backend work these days. Node.js is another important one. Yeah, I was gonna um, say Node, Node TypeScript because that opens up a whole yeah. world. TypeScript of, is sort of built on top of Node, or it's, it's a yeah, further or it's built on top of JavaScript. Yeah, right. Yeah, but anything like that where you can open the whole world of web to you right. would be super right. super useful. Obviously, I'm a big fan of backend. Yeah, I was listening to your show with Sarah Super Side Swift. So, like, that's an option. But I mean, that'll that'll t- I think that's good for teaching you how how to like query a database or how to like build a Rust API. But as far as like learning another language, I think JavaScript, TypeScript would be super helpful because then you can like do all sorts of stuff on web pages and things like that. I think it's very important to understand the contract between yourself and the backend too, right? Like, you know, right. we 
currently, like, you know, when I started iOS, we were doing, you know, lists, which are XML. We were learning how to XML parse, right? And and then, you know, I think uh, JSON came along. Yeah, I know, the horror stories, right? Yeah. JSON came along, and now we have the JSON, you know, decoding, decoding encoding stuff. protocols. Yeah. We have the, the, you know, the NS coder for binary files, you know, storing mm-hmm. them. Bringing them back to life, re- reinflating them, if you will. You know, it kind of reminds me of of astronauts going to the moon. The way they would dehydrate their food and they would use water to reinflate them to make them into like mm-hmm. a nice mm-hmm. yeah. steak. Exactly. <laughs> but the you know, so there's that, and then and now we've got the codable protocol in in Swift to be able to handle that kind of stuff for us. And yeah, you know, under the hood, there's a lot going on. But you know, from a user point of view, it's you know pretty pretty straightforward. So, but I think you know, understanding you know, looking at like under, learning about how you know basic HTTP works, right? Like how you know TLS works and encryption. You know, importance of encryption and importance of it leads into the security discussion about. You know, making sure that you're you're talking to your your backend correctly. You're not you know exposing secrets. You're not taking a user's password, for example, and passing it around as plain text. Bad idea. <coughs> you know, yeah. um, you know, there are all kinds of different things that you can do there to to sort of wreck somebody's day, right? But but yeah, I, I just I shudder every time I hear one of these new. Oh, so and so has been exploited, and so and so you know change your passwords on this thing, and you know. You know, it's getting old. Just, it just, it just yeah. scares the heck out of me, right? How do you think project management fits into this as far as, like, taking a step back, we, we talked about helping developers mm-hmm. learn, but, like, as far as for if you're managing a team, like, what do you think is the role of a project manager? What do you think they're, they're well, missing it, out on? Yeah, it kind of de- it depends on the depends on the company as well, like because the different def- definitions. Like larger companies, like a bank, would would have like that broken down into four different roles, whereas a smaller startup might have it like all compacted into one. But I I know mm-hmm. of an engineer here in Toronto, pretty successful uh, solo developer who use, uses project management tools just to keep himself on the street and narrow. And I've thought about doing that, like thought about using tools like Trello, like at Codica we use Trello for managing our projects, but. Also, Jira. I'm a big fan of Jira. I mean, not a huge fan. I mean, it's the tool you use. I know a yeah. friend of mine who's on Mondi.com who's shaking his fist at the screen right now. But, you know, it, it's just a matter. It, I think it, it allows you to take, and it's part of sort of agile flow that you want to basically take. My agile joke, by the way, is how do you eat, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a elephant? time, right? So you so basically take any large complex yes. job and you break it down into smaller chunks, right? And I think that's right, what agile right. does. And and if you're using a tool like using something like Confluence to document what the what the the tickets about, you know, take the the actual tasks of what you're going to put together in terms of an app and break it down into those steps. What do I need to do first? What do I need to do yeah. second? Is it a dependency here and there? So tools like Jira and Trello help you sort of organize all the pieces. Like you were, I think you were mentioning about, you know, Ulysses as an example. I think my friend Tammy is a big fan of Scrivener for writing, right? Mm-hmm. Writing stories, mm-hmm. writing novels, writing, you know, yeah. whether it's a short story or a long story. Yeah, you it's the have same to break it down into pieces. It's way yeah, too and overwhelming. You, but you need to gather you all your bits and pieces into like a yeah. sort of a treasure box and scrapbook yeah. and kind of thing. And I think that's I think it's what... Called- I think Ulysses calls it a material sheet. I think that's right. the term they use. Yeah. Yeah. So, and Scrivener has a sort of like a sort of sketchboard kind of place where you cut, you collect all the bits and pieces that are going to make up your story, your storylines, your character developments, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I think I think taking those same sort of kind of criteria, I do the same thing in my artwork. I, I break it down into into what has to happen first. What you know, I need to gather the supplies. I need to you know have the stuff ready to go in order to to basically get the project from one place to another and i think that's the same thing is true with with any kind of mobile development or even websites is is you need to break it down into small pieces like and maybe this is something that a, a, a young new developer can think about is like you know like for instance i have a, an app on a store or like a tutorial on using touch id right so i want to use touch id hey lou leo i want to use touch id right well, what do I need to do first? Well, first of all, I need to have some sort of app that requires login, right? And so then I have to create mm-hmm. a login view, and then I have to create, you know, and then I have to be able to handle the username and the password. And as I said before, you don't want to handle that in plain text. So now you need to figure out a way to obfuscate 
the input from the user, and then you need to have a way to talk to, uh, maybe you want to store something in user defaults. Keychain. Okay, that's yeah. fine. Maybe I want to use Keychain. So then I have to go and learn about Keychain, you know, and, and break down all the pieces that, that you need to do in order to facilitate getting to the point where you can actually add Touch ID to your screen, right? Yeah. You know, so, and it, 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 we should probably talk about yak shaving at some point too, but... Um, the, you know, the idea is like, you know, you have a complex task to do. And one of the things we did early, early, early in the days was when we were writing our iOS stuff is, you know, we weren't the experts on it because I don't, don't think anybody was in the early days, right? So one of my junior's jobs was to just scour the web for a solution that's already been written. Has somebody already written something about this that already does this thing rather than, trying to invent it yourself right like one of the things about right. security is don't try to invent your own security it's already been done it's already been proven there are best practices you know you should you should probably check that out right rather than trying to do it yourself but yeah yeah like, and that, do you use yeah so i i pretty much i think i've mentioned this i don't know but i use like a spreadsheet to keep track of my mm-hmm. to-do list but when right I have Good individual idea. repos or projects, and GitHub has this now. GitLab has, has like their little Jira yeah. Trello thing. And then yeah. I'll put those individual tasks, and then I'll organize those into a Trello board of some sort for like yeah. projects, coding projects, so to speak. Yeah, I just want to show you here on on my phone. I mean, so you know, like one one of the things I do in in yeah. So here, like for instance, I've started doing using my. I don't know if you can get the clear shot of this. It's too bright. I can't see it. Too bright. There we go. How's there that? you go. Right. So you can see that you know ah. I've got user stories, and I'm using the notes feature to make little check boxes. And this is nice. just a simple. I broke this you know in terms of what I want to refactor in the app is I broke down what it is I want to do and. Just using the notes app. I mean, like you don't need to have Jira or Trello to start. You know, like you said, you can use a spreadsheet. You can use a simple note note taking app, right? Piece right, of paper, right? Back of an envelope, literally. Right. Right. Well, and there's something nice about that because then <laughs> you don't have this feeling of oh, this is permanent. I need to save this. Because right. if it's on paper, it's like okay, I copied it over. I'm done proce- <laughs> processing it. Yeah. I can throw it away. What yeah. one of the things you wrote down is domain driven design. What Yeah. What did you mean so, by that, Tim? So this is this is something it's interesting. It it came out of our work at Spot Hero, our, our previous CTO, I think he introduced the idea. I'm not sure if, well apologies to people at Spot Hero if it wasn't his idea, but there's a book by O'Reilly called Domain Domain Driven Design and the idea behind it is one of my favorite things about it is this thing called event storm where you look at the business logic of your of your process right and you kind of break it down you break down the the using an event storm you break down the sort of processes that go into sorting out a, a business thing think of a business like what would you do like maybe a pizza delivery service or something like that right okay you know so you'd have different parts of your of your organization one is you know there's going to be an order taking system that's going to you know describe all the orders all the parts that make up a good pizza right and then you've got your your kitchen staff that are going to take the get the orders read what kind of pizza the person wants somebody's going to have to prepare the dough somebody's going to have to put all the, the you know the pepperoni and the cheese and the sauce on it then there's the oven crew that's going to have to put it in the oven, turn the heat, obviously heat the oven up, right? Put the pizza in the oven to make the pizza. There's going to be the team that, after the pizza has been made, puts it in the box and hands it to the driver, you know, with the order number on it, for example. Then there's going to be a cleanup crew has to go in and clean the plates and clean the, the utensils that were used to make the dough and to make the pizza. And then you're mm-hmm. going to hand it to a driver who's going to go and you know, put it in his car and take it to an address. Well, where, how does he get to that address? We need, now we need, you know, an iPhone with a maps app on it to tell him where to go to deliver. And then he gets to the door, he takes a picture of the image and he, so anyway, there's a whole complex thing to just making a pizza, right? Right. Or making a pizza app, if you want, or making a pizza business, right? So what you do is you, in, in the sort of the vein driven development is you say, okay, let's look at the making of the, the, the bakers, right? The people that are actually putting the pizza together, right? That's a domain, right? And so you look at, we, we sit down and we examine all of the pieces, all of the processes that go into making pizza, right? Making the physical pizza itself, right? Irrespective of all those other domains that I described, right? 
and you look at that one particular domain and you go through all the sort of pieces, the, 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 the sequences of, of events that need to happen in order to make a pizza. And then we look at, well, who is the person who's going to act on that particular thing? Is it an automated process or is it an actual human being who needs to do this? You know, like, can we write a, can we write up some code that'll chop pepperoni? I don't think so. We need to have somebody with a knife to cut the pepperoni, right? For example. I'm using a bricks and mortar kind of example for, for the sake of science, but. Yeah, thank um, you. So the idea is you, you kind of go through and you examine all of the sort of things that, things, you know, traditional, maybe you have some, some traditional things you've been doing so, so far, and this is the only way we can get this to work. We use the, you know, we use a piece of paper and a pencil because that's what we have, right? Well, maybe we could use a piece, you know, a notes app, or we can use a spreadsheet, or we can use something that's searchable, you know, like maybe down the road we might want to, you know, keep track of the orders and go back and see historically, like when it comes to ordering the supplies, how do we know which are the most commonly used pizzas or com- most commonly used supplies? Which do we have more need to have more of or less of, right? So by examining the sort of domain around what is needs to get done within that particular sphere of, of the work, you can create a design, like a I mean a design in terms of the process of development. You can write the little APIs. You can assign this, you know, create the assignments to people. You can create user stories to facilitate, you know, that, that thing. So if you think about mm-hmm. like, so take this back a step. If this was, Hey, I want to write an iOS app that for ordering pizza, right? Now you have by examining the different, like by looking at this one particular domain, we know what is required in that particular domain of the business, right? And then we can look, we can go and look at, you know, the, the order takers domain. We can look at the guy driving the car domain. We can look at the guy ordering the supplies to make the pizza. That's another domain that can be, can be examined. So you look at, you break down your business into, into different parts and you put it together. You create a plan to put it together. And it's great. So- like, in come, yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm what I'm hearing is a great opportunity to modul- modularize your code cuz yeah. like just listening to your pizza analogy, I'm like each domain has its own library attached to it right. and like like or each it might package, be a whatever. package, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and it's all testing within its own its own set whatever, its own domain. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As opposed to cuz I I know I've done this accidentally. And by that I mean, like, I know it's, it's, it's naturally how you kind of factor things out is like the, the making the pizza does not care about delivering the pizza. It only cares about making right. the pizza. And well, actually, that. that's not true. So that's not true. You know, well, like, you know you, what I mean though? When you, when you do your examination, you might have the drivers come and tell you, well, you know, Leo, the pizzas are hot when they come out of the oven. Yeah. I need okay. a way to handle that, right? So like there, yeah. so it, it's, it does help to have, Cross domain or what we're talking Understand about. Understand where the Multidisciplinary are. development. It pays to have those guys in the room to have their sort of, cause maybe there's a, maybe there's a way of doing it. And, and if I can go back to the act shaving for a sec. So do you, do you know the story about the act shaving, how that comes to being? I think I've heard of it before, but I'll let you go ahead and repeat it. Yeah. So, so it's one of my favorite things about like when you're developing or thinking about a, an app, an app idea and it's all, it's kind of like don't reinvent the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or you, you know, the Yagni, you ain't gonna need that kind of thing, right? Yeah, right, the idea, right, yeah. The idea is I wanna get, I wanna get Leo a gift, right? And, and I know Leo likes, you know, he likes warm clothing because he lives in the northern climate, and so he, I'm gonna make him a, a yak wool sweater, right? Well, in order to make a yak wool, it's kinda like the pizza story I just told, but to make a yak wool sweater, I need to have some yak wool, right? I also need to learn how to knit, right? So to make a sweater for, for Leo kind of thing. So, you know, first of all, so I got to go and learn how to make, how to knit and develop that skill. But in the meantime, I need to get this yak wool. Well, how do I get the yak wool? Well, I need to go to the store that makes the, get, that supplies the yak wool. Well, maybe there isn't a store that makes the yak wool. Maybe I need to figure out how to make the yak wool myself. Well, then I have to go and explore how to make wool, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, how to, how to spin it, how to and turn it into yarn, how to, you know, to make the sort of, and put it onto a spool so then I can, you know, knit it with my knitting needles kind of thing, right? Well, you know, okay, so, but where do I get the supplies for the wool, like the raw fiber that makes the wool, right? Well, I need to go and get that from a yak, right? Well, so then, but then I, in order to get the, to convert the yak into the yarn, I need to figure out how to shave the yak, 
right? And then, well, I don't have a yak here in Toronto, and maybe I don't think you have one in Lansing, Michigan, either. Maybe no, so we might have to no, go to a zoo, or might have to go to like you know, might have to go to Tibet or something. To, I don't just I don't know. Sorry, Tibet, if you don't have yaks, but you have to go to Tibet and figure out how to get a yak and grow it and feed it and you know make it happy and keep it well enough that it'll keep you in supply of of yak wool or yak fur, right? right? And so the idea is like you know rather than thinking I need to, you know like find you know find someone who already knows how to do the yak wool make the yak wool get them to come and do it for you or like you know don't look 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 for swift packages look for cocoa pods that do yeah. the pe- the part of the app that you don't need to do the heavy lifting on I mentioned before don't try and write your own security right stack you want to basically use a known security stack to to do keychain is one example of a, of a security stack right Right. Um, I'm waiting for Apple to come and fix security for us. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah, that, that that I think that 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 the act the Aquil story is an old computer fable about or parable about. Yeah. You know, not trying to build it yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was funny because before the recording, we were talking about that Facebook article. Yeah. And like, if you read that article, it's like There's they built everything themselves, and yeah. they yeah, it's. They try to. It tries to come across as victorious, but it doesn't sound, sound <laughs> like that's necessarily the case. So, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Cool. So before we close out, I wanted to talk about Apple rumors and history mm. because we've um, we've been hearing a lot of rumors about a new new piece of hardware. Which let me see. Well, we we always. I want to correct you and say we every year we hear about a new piece of hardware that's coming. Right, yeah, that's true. <laughs> We're still waiting for the the 16 I mean, gigabyte white Apple Car, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. This might so this might be out if it, if it's out after it's been announced, which is mm-hmm. is a possibility. We might have to cut this part, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> so it won't be out. It won't be out in March. Trust me. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. You don't think it's going to be the March event thing? Okay. No, it sounds like a WWDC thing. I was listening to Jim Jim Del Rumpel and Dave Mark talk about it on their show the other day. I think that was a okay. good call. It's probably going to be a WWDC thing. And the whole or that- I was talking to Daniel Steinberg on on Mastodon about it. It's it sound I it's probably going to be like the central theme of WWDC, WWDC, right? This year it's going to be okay. all about this this device we're talking about, right? We're all going to be using Reality Kit. Yeah. So, I don't Did you listen to ATP? At all I didn't. Week. No, I didn't. I, I um, listened to it a couple of weeks ago when they talked about M1s, but I haven't listened. Or Mastodon, but I haven't listened since. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, they, they did a pretty good job um, talking about how rumors and new platforms typically go. And mm-hmm. the story with the iPad, the story with the Apple Watch, and like how right. it was rumored and what the market was at that time. I thought they did a, did a great job uh, mm-hmm. talking about how these XR glasses are going to fit into it. Pro Reality, Reality Pro. DeluxeMax.com. But like, Ultra. You've got Ultra. Ultra. Yeah, sorry. I forgot yeah. about the new one. Ultra. They still haven't done Deluxe. I'm waiting for Deluxe. Looking mm. forward to that. I don't think Apple does Deluxe. They don't do Deluxe? Okay. No. No. Not yet. Never say never, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, we, yeah. I mean, it seems to... We, we talked about this on, on more than just code. Yeah. But my big whole thing was like, I don't see the market for it, especially where Apple is at. Yeah. Um, especially with games and bus- business being the two leading, they want to do Microsoft Teams with VR or they want to do games with mm-hmm. VR. Right. Apple's not very good at either of those markets, and it's kind of troubling trying to figure out where they're trying to position this. Well, yeah, what do you, what's kind of your thoughts on? Well, it? I want to take apart a couple of things you said there. Right, one thing about okay. Apple not being very good at any you know, insert mm-hmm. thing here, right? Yeah. And we talked about this on more than just code many, many times. But I honestly believe Apple leads from behind. Right? Apple if you think about it, you think about it for a minute, right? Apple has done some amazing things. They've they've turned the world on its ear with the iPhone, the iPod, you know, all kinds of different things. But Apple generally speaking doesn't innovate I mean they innovate, but they didn't innovate the idea of something Every single time, right? They're never the first. They're never the first. They're never the first, but they're generally one one of the best, if not the best, right? Because Mm -hmm. they take the time to look at something, work out all the sort of kinks that they can see. I mean, there's obviously there's always loose ends and there's always kinks and there's always going to be like, you know, 10% or 20% of society is not going to be happy with what they've done. But Or think it's too expensive, but yeah. 
Well, yeah, given given it's too expensive, you know, he said the guy with the ultra watch on, right? But <laughs> you know, but but um you know, yeah, you, you, they 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 take an idea and they you know, and it's been this like, you know, from the Apple II computer, right? Was something that Steve Wozniak saw in homebrew and saw in the world. He didn't invent the the portable computer, but he invented the portable computer, right? And then you got the Mac. Well, the Mac was not. It was innovative as a package, and it was innovated from a concept of the bicycle for the mind. But it mm-hmm. was all Xerox Parks work, right? You know, so was so was Windows, Windows, the menu, and all that kind of stuff. All that's the desktop metaphor. That was all. That all came from Xerox Park, right? Then you get into iPod. Well, iPod was a reaction to all the MP3 players that were out there, that you know were tearing up the market back in, in like was that the 90s, early 90s, mid 90s? Mm, no, not right. even. I would say early aughts. Yes. Yeah. Oh, 2000. Really? Okay. Yeah. So I mean, so so they so yeah. Apple didn't invent MP3 players, but they they entered the iPod, which was sort of their take on. Uh, a better, a better MP3 player, right? And then they, right, they, right. The, the little nanos and the shuffles, they, that was to sort of squash all the other MP3 players out there. So that was cool, right? And then it, that went along great and, and iPod was doing pretty cool. And it wasn't until they bought another piece of software. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I have a, um, Snap NP or something like that. I forget what it was, but it actually, it actually was an app that ran on your Mac. Sound, I've, I've got it behind me. I just went, just You're talking about iTunes? No, well, it became iTunes, right? Right, right. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. So they bought, they acquired this company that had built this software that let you rip your CD, your CD, your CD music into into MP3s, right? Mm, and then feed okay. them onto your thing. So they, so iTunes became a way to create MP3s that you can put on and man, eventually manage your your iPods. And it wasn't until Apple rolled that iTunes out onto Windows that the iPod really took off. Yes. Yes. Right, because we talked yeah. about the other day this, that you know five percent of the market is Apple, the rest is Windows, or most of it is Windows. Eighty-five percent is Windows, right? So that's mm-hmm. a huge mm-hmm. market. It's kind of like I was talking about China earlier, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was what put the iPod on the map. Now all of a sudden, everybody had an iPad. It didn't matter, or sorry, iPod. iPod. Correct, correct me. Yeah, everybody had an iPod, you know, and, and that sort of, you know, and then the next thing, next, like, I remember driving to MacWorld. I've told this story a thousand times with, with my wife to down to San Francisco, and she says, like, what do you think the new thing is going to be? And I think, well, I've been hearing rumors of a phone, but I have no idea what Apple's going to do with a cell phone. Like, why bother making a cell phone? Right. And then it turned out, well, okay, it's not just a cell phone. It's a phone. It's an home pod. It's, you know, or it's an iPod, right, and, iPod it's, and it's an yeah. internet device, right? As, as right. the famous. The classic, the classic three things. Yes. Yeah. The three things. One more, yeah. One more thing. There's three things and one more thing. But, you know, so that, that became the, that sort of tipped Apple on it. I mean, so as you go through every sort of thing that, think about anything that Apple's done other than Apple Silicon. Well, Apple Silicon was kind of like AMD's technology, right? Is it AMD that makes the, the arm? Arm, sorry, arm. That's what I'm thinking. Of. Thank you, arm. Mm-hmm. It's arm technology, right? And and even the multi-touch device that we have on our iPhones and our iPads that was invented by somebody else as well, right? So, yeah. Apple's good at putting together a synergy of, of ideas in such a way that it makes sense to the majority of people. It, it improves the quality of their life, which is why people buy Apple Apple stuff. They don't buy the gigahertz. They don't buy the megawatts. You know, they buy very much so. Yeah, this makes me feel good, right? Yeah. And and yeah. Apple cares about me feeling good, and looking good with my Ultra Watch on my wrist, which looks really sexy, right? <laughs> it does look good. <laughs> I just upgraded. Speaking of which, I just upgraded to a Series Seven from a Series Six, yeah. I think. Yeah. And the watch size, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't because I went from forty to oh 45. the smaller size to the bigger one, yeah. And, yeah, and I'm like, I couldn't even imagine going into an ultra. So it's actually not that much it. bigger. It's thicker. It's heavier, right? It's, I mean, it's thicker yeah. this way than, but, yeah, but, yeah, and yeah. it is, it is, it does. It took a while for my wrist to get used to it, but physically, like size wise, what I love about this is, for me, I'm always nervous about cracking the edge of my, my phone on the on a brick yeah. as I walk through a doorway, right? Well, this has got mm-hmm. like a titanium oh, yeah, ridge all around it, right? Yeah. And for me, the big the big selling point for me is the one button to get activities going. Oh, you know, nice. the activity button, okay. I think it's called that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. I'm not a huge, I'm, to be honest with you, I wear a watch every day, but, but watch is not my thing. I mean, the watch OS was a real disappointment. Watch OS 1.0 was a real disappointment, right? So, 
Yeah. Going back, talking about the headset, like, okay, like, the, the one thing that... So we're talking about VR with, goggles. I don't think we've actually said that to people. We're talking about the VR... Pro, we some sort of reality, reality AR, VR. Oh, just want to be clear yeah. to people. So one of the points I made on ATP was that, like... And we're talking about these the guys ki- here. The augmented reality device. Exactly. They look exactly <laughs> like that, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be um, exactly this. Yeah. The one thing they said was, like, multi-touch was a big killer feature of the iPhone. Yeah. That made it more, like, okay, now I see why this is such a big so deal. Also the biggest downfall, because, I mean, have you ever tried to type on an iPad? Yeah, why? <laughs> well, because, I mean, like, why did they have to make a, a keyboard for it if it was so good? <laughs> like, I, I have... <laughs> right. You know, I have the Magic Keyboard here, and I love it. Well, I miss that. I mean, I miss tactile... I mean, there is benefits to how BlackBerry did it, but it, yeah. In any case, well, I don't um, know. You know. It's good it, and bad. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, hey. I yeah. Well, I, yeah. And it, but I think that's the thing is like the iPhone, even with multi-touch and losing a key, physical keyboard, like they mm-hmm. way overcame with the snappiness and and the great the the great UX. Lately, we, the we autocorrect is awful. So, yeah. What's that? So um, lately, the autocorrect is awful. Like it's just yes. it's just lost its mind. I wish there was a re- way to reset your, your library of auto of your autocomplete nonsense, yeah. right? Yes, exactly, exactly. But like, even with like the dynamic island, like, I'm, I didn't buy yeah. a new iPhone, but it's like impressive I how did. Apple's like, oh, you did, okay, but you're like, you saw that presentation you're like, oh, Apple always comes up with some clever workaround for some physical Well, uh, can issue. I tell you about some of the problems with the dynamic island? Not, not yet. I want to. I want to go back to the headset. <laughs> I want to go back to the headset. But like, I, my recommendation is don't buy more than one headset. 1.0. Yeah. Right. We'll go back to the Apple Watch or the Home. Well, no, not so much that. Um, it, yeah, it comes back. To, we'll get to my point in a minute. Sorry. Continue. Like, do you think that there what what could possibly be like a killer feature that would make these more substantial that, than like than the current sets of VR headsets? I mean, because like, like I, I had. I had, like, I had this Windows Mobile smartphone before yeah. the iPhone came out. And, like, my Windows Mobile, I'm not talking the one that was actually half-decent looking. I'm talking, like, it basically was Windows 98 on a phone. Yeah. It, it was yeah. garbage. You had to have I remember those, yeah. Remember and then those, people yeah. are like, well, how are they going to make the iPhone any better than this? And then they, like, totally <laughs> did. And, like, yeah. to me, like, that's that's the only thing I could see is, like, they have something that is going to be like we're going to look back and be like oh my gosh the Oculus Oculus is so old and like it's janky. so janky yeah. and yeah. like Apple totally knew doesn't how even to come do in it. titanium like, exactly yeah yeah <laughs> with, the, with the orange button on the side right yeah what could be the thing that like like Apple could do with these that's it's going to be like oh that's it now I get it like what could I, I can't even think of it right. Well, I mean, we talked about that the other day, too, is is the watch, you know, initially the watch was not a fitness device, but it is a fitness device. I mean, it's totally, yeah, it like, I sure. bought I bought the 4 because of the EKG. Again, when I talked about the gray hair, right? You know, the EKG is important to me, right? Yeah. Blood ox is an important thing. Not so much to me, but, like, for the last couple of years, people getting COVID, blood ox was a huge thing, right? Right. Blood oxygen levels. But, or, you know, I... I'm not a lady, so I really can't speak to cycle tracking, but I'm sure that's an important thing. I mean, I've, right. I've tried to get, I've tried to get my wife pregnant and that was a chore, you know, with tent, with thermometers and log books and yeah, I mean, please yeah. solve that problem for me, Apple. Thank you very much, right? I think, I think that, you know, again, I think we also agreed to agree that we're not the target market for this product, you and I, but, but, I, I don't know. I, like, I think I, I riffed on the idea of, of maybe, you know, heads up navigation, you know, golf maybe tells you how far the hole is from your, from your putt right, or, yeah. your, or your shot. Maybe it's used, you know, can be used in, in industry where, you know, like warehouse management or I think I, I remember seeing an early I, AR example back in the early days of the iPhone where you held up your camera. I think it was like Yelp. Right. And it showed like you could hold it up and move it around like this and it would show you like, okay, there's a pizza restaurant over there and there's an Italian restaurant over there. And yeah, and as you sort of it sort of figured out where you were pointing based on the GPS, what was in front of you. Maybe that's something to do heads up. Maybe it's heads. Maybe it's like, hey, you know, you're reading your text messages. There's a telephone pole you're walking into. Right. Like. Like maybe it's yeah. maybe it's heads up navigation for pedestrians or bike riders. Maybe you're riding a yeah. bike and it gives you like a heads up display, right? Um, or maybe yeah, I mean, or, or like in the gaming thing, maybe you can play like Red Dead Redemption as if you're in 
the actual environment of that world. I mean, I don't know if you've ever right. seen the world, but it's huge. Like it goes on for like, you know, it takes you 20 minutes to go from one town to the other riding a horse. I mean, it literally yeah. like it does that, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, from a gaming point of view, I think there's, there's, there's opportunities there. Heads up. I mean, like maybe a doctor could be wearing it and just sort of like look at you and maybe he put some sensors on you and he can just look <gasps> at you and see your heart's you know, like not properly working or, or your blood ox is not good or right i mean i think i can think of any number of ways that that ar and vr could be used i mean i i think joked with you about the fact that people were having relations using vr back in the early days devices that you could wearable devices that would stimulate whatever, you. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean so so it, where i mean architectural engineering i can think of tons of different ways that that it'll it'll improve things i mean I don't know whether it'll take a long time before the law lets us do it, but maybe you wear the headset when you're driving, right? right? Maybe right. maybe it puts your speed in your and you know things right in front of you. My concern about it is like the whole, like I was telling you about my 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 nephew's place. They had to move all the furniture out of the way furniture when they had the yeah. Oculus on because you're going to hurt yourself, right? Yeah. My concern is when you're out. But then you have crash detection on your Apple Watch, so. But that's know, after the fact. The- you, it's yeah, too, right. I think it's already too late to prevent the accident <laughs> if you've already had it, right? <laughs> you know, or may, but 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 then again, like we also talked about, you know, maybe, maybe it's an experiential thing. Maybe, you know, Trevor Noah at the at the Grammy Award is wearing the Grammys just happened this weekend, but he's wearing a headset that lets you go and have a conversation with Beyonce as if you're in the room with Beyonce, right? Right. right. Maybe it maybe it's concerts like now instead of going to a physical concert to see a band play, you know, you can actually experience that through a VR. Like you put on the headset, now you're in, you know, you're in the stadium, you're, you know, with all yeah. the other avatars, you know, all the memojis in the audience, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Instead of having audience members, it'll be all memojis, you know, right? Mark is wrong about the importance of memojis. But, you know, <laughs> maybe that, maybe we all, maybe we all attend WWDC this way. Maybe they're going to have a developer True. kit and they'll ship that them all to us. That would make total sense if they do that. Yeah. Like, especially if you think they're going to announce it in June, that would make that would make. Well, sense. I mean, I mean, June. I can tell you from. I mean, as you know, I've, I've done some work for Apple. I can tell you that leading up to WWDC, WWDC is the big. I mean, Phil Schiller talked about this. This is the big pinnacle. That's their Christmas. That's their everything yeah. leads up to WWDC, right? Yeah. You know, so, that's when all we'll the see. stuff gets out. Yeah, we'll see. Tim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you? I'm generally on Twitter and Mastodon as T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. Tim Mitra is my name, and that's how I you can find me on the Twitter machine. You can listen to me on more than just code podcasts, tjc.fm. I'm on Spotcast Podcast, and that's spotcast.com as well. You can find me on LinkedIn if you you know look for me, IT Guy Canada. And uh, yeah, those are pretty much the places to find me that that uh, I hang out. I also hang out on a few Slack channels from some of the iOS folks Slack channels. Uh, we have a Slack channel for our own podcast as well. And I also work with uh, the folks over at Codeco, some one of the technical editors and sometimes writer over there. So uh, you can find me on the Ray Wenderlich Codeco forums as well. Thank you so much, friend Tim, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, for having if me. people want to find me online i'm at leo g dion my company is bright digit take some time to like and subscribe if you're watching this on youtube this is a podcast please put it a review and i look forward to talking to you again in a couple of weeks thanks for joining us bye everyone